This show is sponsored by the Bitbox O2 by Shift Crypto. If you're new to Bitcoin, you need to be taking self-custody. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Must be done. Hardware wallets are a great way to do that. And in my opinion, the Bitbox O2 Bitcoin-only edition is a fantastic tool for you to take to help you take self-custody. It makes it very easy to do so. It's easy set to set up, easy to operate, and a great first step. Of course, for the more experienced among you, it's also rich with features uh, that allow you to enhance your setup. So you can use it with different multi-sig uh, arrangements. It's fully open source. There's repro reproducible builds. There's a bug bounty program in place, encrypted USB channel communication, and lots of other features. I highly recommend you visit the website uh, and check them out because they really are pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do that, go to shiftcrypto.ch forward slash rapid fire and you can get yourself 5% off. But before you take custody of your Bitcoin, you obviously have to buy it. And if you're in Canada, I highly recommend bullbitcoin.com, a phenomenal non-custodial exchange, which means they don't custody ever your Bitcoin. You buy them through them. You provide them with a receive address, which goes right to your own self-custody. That's the best way to do it so that you're never leaving coins on exchange. As we often say, not your keys, not your coins. You don't want to be left in the lurch should something happen to the exchange internally, externally, or whatever. And very soon also, they'll be offering self-custody support to international clients, which means no matter where you are, you'll be able to avail of their services to help you get set up properly so that you're buying Bitcoin and custodying it in the best way possible. So look out for that. And finally, the Bitcoin 2022 conference. The 2021 conference was insane. I talk about it all the time on the podcast. I had such an amazing experience. And this year, it's going to be on Miami Beach instead of in Wynwood, 35,000 capacity. I can't even imagine what uh, the organizers have in store. I'm sure there's a bunch of surprises. Uh, but the best part about it all is not so much the speakers or the peripheral events. It's meeting other Bitcoiners. If you haven't been to a Bitcoin conference, you just are going to have to take my word for it. It's incredible. So if you'd like to go, it's from April 6th to the 9th. And if you want 10% off your ticket, use the code RAPIDFIRE at checkout. Let's do it. Gentlemen, how are we? Awesome. Doing awesome. Doing great. Excellent. Maybe I'll go to a gallery view this time. Maybe that's something new. Um, so we, we were on the Superb Summit uh, beef panel yesterday, and we had initially, initially set this thing up because we had anticipated having a lot more that we wanted to discuss after an hour of doing that. It turned out we probably spoke for at least an hour and a half afterwards and, and covered some pretty interesting territory. So, you know, I never need much of an excuse to get together with you guys and hang out and chat. So we, we kept it on the, on the books regardless. But one of the things, you know, I'm obviously, as usual, we can take it wherever we want to go. But, you know, at least from my perspective, and I think a lot of people share this, there's a lot of demand, desire, interest in like solutions, how to respond, combat to what's going on in like every domain of, of life these days, you know, the chaos and the, you know, I don't, yeah, the chaos. And so you guys are obviously and have obviously been working on such a unique solution that people are so excited about. So to the extent there can be updates or, you know, uh, like actual actionable things that, that people can do to either contribute, establish things in their own life for food security or any of the things that we'll be talking about 
I'd love to ground the conversation in some of that, and then we can let the philosophizing flow naturally in between. <laughs> so uh, good. Who, who wants to get us kicked off? Untapped, is there any updates from, from, I know you've been a busy man, so hit me with the updates. But uh, I all of a sudden have technical difficulties. Untapped is in the field as usual. <laughs> I just got the sky drop on me. Soaked in rain, running back to the truck. You're going to make me just announce a bunch of stuff that's not been publicly announced yet on your show again, John. <laughs> not intentionally, um, but I know people want to know. So, you know. Oh, there's stuff loaded up that's ready to roll. It's like just at that cusp. Um, let's start big picture, right? So, anybody watching the show, if you're not up to date with what we've been doing. So, we initially launched these podcasts where we did this conversation about essentially getting the plebs self-sovereign so that they can stand against the onslaught of the tyranny. And this was before it got as crazy as it has currently with the COVID and the vax mandates and medical passports and central bank currencies starting to get closer and closer and all the mayhem. But we all saw it coming, right? And the thesis was mutually beneficial agreements of land leases and herd shares so that we could come together to step outside of the fiat economy that's so broken and the wrong incentives and pre-exist in the hyper-Bitcoinized state and build resilience of full sovereignty for our families starting in the soil and the food supply, right? Okay, so we were spinning that up to the nonprofit and there's been lots of excitement that's happened on the way. <laughs> um, as we got into pursuing the peer-to-peer matchmaking and all the elements of this vision, it's it's... It's an interesting strategic problem because like, like me, Poof, um, we have our own farms, right? It's not that hard for us to kind of have food sovereignty for ourselves and be spun up and get it going. And doing this small scale is not very difficult. It's like you can kind of sneak around most of the problems, like the monopoly processing industry and stuff, because we have friends and family networks and you're not big enough to be obvious yet where people have any incentive to really fuck with you. Um, and the middle size as you grow, it's kind of just no man's land. So like when I initially launched this whole thing, I was thinking like, okay, I'm going to help like three or four Bitcoiners get sovereign, you know, like maybe six farms over the next four years. It'll, it'll be awesome. We'll get to have a lot of fun making some brothers and having friends and it'll be great, you know? And then the thing just fucking blew up. It's like, I've had probably three to four applicants every single day since the Marty podcast drops. <laughs> wow. And like usually an applicant pool, right? You'd be like, I don't know, a 10 to 20% hit rate, maybe some at like community pools, you'd have a 5% hit rate of quality people to work with. This hit rate of this applicant pool, looking, reading through the, like the applications, they're incredible people, man. I mean, we're probably 80 or 90% of them are people that are worth me spending time making sure they get going. Um, like people who want to get off, get off the land or get out of the cities, get back to the land and homestead, like Bitcoiners who are kind of mobile Bitcoiners, but who want food sustainability by locking in with the herd shares, food security, like investors who want to tackle the problem of like, how do we do this large scale and save the world? Um, it's like, they're all here and people, and we got such a diverse community of people with so many different skill sets. And so, so when that happened, I realized doing the small scale is not possible. Middle scale is no man's land for tactical reasons. I mean, middle scale puts you in that spot that economically doesn't work. 
because you're forced in this fiat paradigm of the broken economy of either being small enough to kind of directly know your customer or big enough to compete in this massive um, corporate marketplace, right? And I mean, beyond that, you've got the strategic paradigm of if you're middle scale, you're not big enough to have power and authority of fighting back where people try to screw with you, but you're not small enough to hide. So it puts you in that kind of Ruby Ridge territory, right? So I realized like, okay, like I can't do this small scale anymore because everybody needs me and they just, they want to, the clubs want to be sovereign. This is more excitement around it than I thought. Middle scale doesn't make sense. We just got to go huge. So I dug in and started working on like, okay, what are all the problems that have to be solved to build this network of resilient farms at scale? And there's all these little hiccups along the way, like stupid shit that shouldn't really be a problem, but it just is because the world's so broken. Like for example, there's not enough cows of the right genetic types for low inputs being like that can handle supply chain collapse in North America for the size of our applicant pool as it is today. Like wow. there's just literally not enough cows. So like I could try to help everybody, but how can I, I, okay, great. We buy land, we install fences, which there's not fencing material either. There's supply chain shortages in that. <laughs> um, the fence, the company that makes the fences that use that we most of us use in the regenerative grazing movement, um, used to be PowerFlex, now everybody's going over to Timeless. They've got like a four month backlog. Um, I went and actually visited the owner of that company back when the podcast first popped, because I figured like, okay, supply chain security here with these guys is gonna be important to what we're building. And I actually spent four or five hours with their head operations guy toward their facilities. We talked about their business plans. They were working on scaling up some like alternate manufacturing lines. Um, they had some really good plans for how to handle the volume of input they were seeing. And so I was just kind of, consulting with them, making sure they were going to be ready for it all. And then I sat down with the owner, who's a super wealthy guy, a multi-multi-millionaire, and uh, verified that he was orange pill. He discovered Bitcoin two weeks before I talked to him, and I made sure that orange pill went. I made sure I slapped the jaw shut and made him swallow. <laughs> <laughs> um, because we, like that company can't go down. I mean, they're super important. They're one of the few people manufacturing some of the fence supplies we need. So I spent some time with them, right? And they're trying to get spun up, but demand's increasing so fast. It's going up as fast as they can spit up new production lines. Um, so like, like in other stupid problems, like uh, uh, China stops shipping over, stop manufacturing or something, um, the hubs with the bearings you need for the wheels on trailers. So all the trailer manufacturers in the States don't have hubs, so they can't make the trailers. So there's this massive shortage of trailers so trying to get your hands on a cattle trailer is ridiculously difficult right now. Or like I've had a UTV on order. A UTV is like an ATV with a little miniature truck bed on the back. I've had that on order since May. They told me it was on a truck that was going to get delivered in a few weeks when I first put the deposit on it. Here we are getting into October. And every time I call them, they're like, well, uh, we don't actually know if it's even been manufactured yet. We'll call you in a month. It's like people aren't grasping how broken supply chains are, right? So we we need a parallel economy. I mean, and it starts with the food supply. We've talked about this before. Like it starts with the soil. The soil is your first productive asset. Food's the first thing humans need. But we live in a globalized world that's already pretty industrialized. And even if you try to go as far back to an agrarian society as you can, like we have to have vehicles. We have to deliver food. Like we have to haul animals. Like you can't just go all the way back to being like in our Bitcoiner world, we can't go back to just being Amish. You can't step back to having a horse and buggy and run a competitive citadel network against this globalist push of tyranny. <laughs> we 
we have to be able to compete. Um, so seeing the evolution of all those problems and realizing like, okay, I can't do the small, I could solve those problems small scale by stocking up a little bit of stuff and just having plans with my buddies or mechanics to just jury rig things or whatever. But doing this huge scale, the service, the Bitcoiner network, I have to solve all these choke points and they're just fucking everywhere. There's a choking point. There's a choke point to the supply chains of what we need to run these Citadel farms all over anywhere you look. Did I drop? Am I good? You're good. I'm good. Okay. You, your video got a little wonky. I'll cut my video services too bad. Um, so that's where the idea for building this fund happened, right? So you guys all know the story of that. I don't need to hash out the details. It was, it was chaotic. We came out stronger. It's awesome. Um, part of how that shook out the way it did is I knew this fund needed to exist for solving these tactical choke points. So that it's almost needs to be like, um, like a John Galt group of sorts, where it's not investing in these farms. It's not investing in the animals. We, like, we've got that with the nonprofit doing this peer-to-peer model. We have tons of interest. We have tons of people at every side of the spectrum to do that. We have to solve these supply chain problems. And it's going to get worse. I mean, not just as there's this broken supply chain. I mean, we've got potential conflict with China where they're propagating even more chaos our way with the financial crash stuff of Evergrande. But like this whole model of them doing this psyop with COVID, propagating chaos into the world, them using that as this like... Um, new type of warfare, right? I mean, they could do that with supply chains all over again to try to cripple everybody else around them. So I, I anticipate that getting worse. But even beyond that, if we have this vaccine passport and they push it harder like they're doing in Europe, there's places in Europe already where if you don't have this medical ID, you can't fill up gas in your vehicle. So like, if you can't put gas in your vehicle, you can't buy food, you can't you can't go to the store and buy parts for your tractor when you you break a hub or something, right? Like you're disconnected from the industrial base of well, the manufacturing resources of the current economy. You're isolated and ostracized and they, like either have to be tiny and survive like the Amish, like just completely off the grid or uh, have to build full stack in house, right? Um, so I, I was pushing, like, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do. And me pushing on that being the, like, the focus. Like, this isn't business. This isn't about making money. Like, this is a waging war where we're trying to clear the choke points from a strategic level because we, we really just, we're just at war. So this is the Malthusian narrative of these global elites trying to manipulate the next phase of the long cycle, right? Where they continue to maintain their ability for time theft over humanity and so it's a battle between that and freedom of humans of this decentralized revolution and the problem with this battle was everybody's like all up in arms about it like where do we fight back like if we go protest if we try to take up arms it gets twisted into the psyop and they spend it for more centralizing a power for themselves well we fight back by opting out not just in the monetary layer, but at the existence layer, where we can outlast them in a war of attrition because we have self-sovereignty and independence in everything we do until Bitcoin cannibalizes their power base of their ability to steal time. Then that's when we start to rebuild the world. So we need this ability to clear those choke points so we have sovereignty of this network of Bitcoin communities. 
that way we can opt out of every layer and you don't have this encroachment of pressure on you all the time. I mean, this is what's happened with people with the vax mandates, right? Where, well, I have to get it because I have this job and I don't have enough savings. So if, if I don't get this, I don't eat. That's just going to get worse and worse where, okay, you can't go to the store if you don't have this ID or like you, you can't buy parts, you can't buy, you can't transport and ship stuff. Or... So if we don't have that secured in the Bitcoin community among us as a peer-to-peer -peer network of sovereign individuals, sovereign communities, that pressure is going to keep escalating until they win the war of attrition before Bitcoin's able to cannibalize their power base and control over the money, right? Okay, so knowing that this has to be tackled first with the farms, and that we got these choke points everywhere, it has to be solved synchronistically. And it, because if, uh, like, if you build the farms without having this, the manufacturing base, it's like the farms are just going to be fragile and collapse. If you build the manufacturing base without the farms, when you can't feed the people who are working for like the machine shops, like it has to be like completely synchronous. And and this is what's been costing me so much time because if any one piece gets behind none of the pieces are going to work if you're trying to do it at scale. It's like you're trying to bootstrap at scale a competitive environment with the current economic paradigms, which is just freaking insanity. It wouldn't be possible anywhere except for in Bitcoin with the number of allies we have, we truly get the problem. Um, so we've decided to go after this with a three-pronged attack. And this is where uh, Poof and uh, Tim come in. So we've got the nonprofit. The nonprofit's going to continue doing the peer-to-peer -peer matchmaking. And Tim and Anthony are helping me spin up like the education curriculum and getting that more polished and finished. So it'll teach people how to do the regenerative agriculture. It'll teach people to do it from zero, like the Bitcoiners no farming experience. Um, it'll have like the ability to do like uh, like a little bit of hands-on consultation work and hopefully be in a nonprofit, we can get some like funding and stuff to make that where it's not high cost for like a lot of the plebs. And digital education is pretty simple to do low cost. Um, and that'll be driven like with like building community focus, doing the education focus and all that. Um, we're spinning up on top of that doing paid consultations right now. Um, my issue is I'm spread so thin trying to solve all these choke points. I don't have time to do a lot of the consultations for the peer-to-peer -peer matchmaking stuff. I'm doing what I can, but if I don't keep the rest of the plate spinning, it's just not going to work. But I never thought I'd find people that are capable of really keeping up full speed with the big picture of solving all the problems in these consultations of helping the Bitcoiners build their, their Citadel ranches until I found these guys. So Anthony and um, or Poof and Tim, they're, uh, they're smart enough to kind of take some of the share of the plate here. But um, like Tim has family and kids. And with the position I need him for, I really need him around more, more full-time versus just part-time. And so we're doing paid consultations. I'm using those to train up Tim and all the knowledge I'm doing so I can take some of my work and parse it off to him so I can focus at the higher strategic level of building the support infrastructure, right? Okay. So as a part of that, we're building off a for-profit company that we're going to do a little bit of an equity raise for. That equity raise is going to be part of how I finance Tim's salary to uh, make an offer to him to hire him full-time. That way, as he gets trained up doing these consultation calls that we're currently on doing, just with a little, like, just charging for each call we do, um, that 
you'll be able to take over that whole part of the mission. As that happens, what we've come up with is Tim and Poof are going to go after currently existing regenerative farms and use our capital model of herd shares and cattle layaways to help bring capital from our customer base who wants the food security into these farms. That'll actually draw them towards the Bitcoin community. Goal is the orange poem along the way. That'll help build a really quick scale of spread of food supply for the Bitcoin community. You mean these guys so are going to gonna... go out and like directly pitch regen ag, existing regen ag operations? Which is already starting to happen. Um, the regen ag guys are finding me and they're realizing that this model gives them capacity they've never had before because of the collaboration inside of this low time preference community. So really they're hitting us. But once Tim's full time with me, I'm going to have him just cold calling people and be like, hey, I want to help you do better. Like we've got we've got a, we've got a tool set to help you. Like get on the line with us. We can help you conquer the world as regenerative agriculture people, right? And then tie them into these low time preference Bitcoiners who want food security and herd shares and we're off to the races at scale. So that spinning that up will be enough to kind of fund that Tim's part of doing the consultations and Poof's part of like helping do the um, day-to-day like um, help with the operations and the animals and stuff. Um, and so then on that, their time will be filled actually doing the consultations with more of the Bitcoiners that I've just been too swamped to make progress on quickly. Um, so now that's moving. Another part of the for-profit company is we're going to have that company going out and buying as much of the things as we can that are going scarce. So stockpiling fence posts, stockpiling galvanized electric wires, stockpiling fence chargers for the electric fence. If we had enough capital, we'd stockpile tractors and like UTVs and trailers and all that stuff too. Um, we're definitely gonna go after stockpiling cattle semen and some of these like genetics from around the world, these really good cows. So we're gonna hopefully better buy up a bunch of like a uh, haylitch, like the chaffe stuff I love to keep for a long time. So I'm anticipating a feed shortage of animals hitting like into the next beginning of the next year because of the drought. Um, grass seed, there's a shortage of that as well. So then that company will be like wholesale into the Bitcoin community. So when the rest of the world's starving, kind of like almost like the biblical story of Joseph, we've accumulated it all. And we can take care of the plebs out on their farms to make sure that as things are scarce, we have what we need. Um, and then we can also sell that stuff back out without choking off the, what the plebs need, but to the rest of the world at a premium um, to make a profit back into that company. Because it's essentially making a bet on scarcity because everybody else is thinking like high-speed fiat and not slowing down to realize what's coming, right? Um, so that's staying. That for-profit company is going to have a few other initiatives involved. One of them is going to be um, RV pads at the farms. So that way you can start to have the emergence of the Bitcoin citadels. Because a lot of the Bitcoiners are like, I don't know where I want to move yet. It doesn't make sense to move because the price of land hasn't popped like we know it's going to. Um, but I want to start getting to a free state and I want to be mobile enough. That way, as the politics shake out and the states start to draw the boundaries as the nation kind of balkanizes, like a lot of us think it might, I can go to the place without having really strong roots. But 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 I need security at the same time. I need a secure food supply. I need to be around people that really believe things that I believe. That way, like we have togetherness and resilience of multiple skill sets and experience and networks to better do what we need to do as things get chaotic, right? So these RV pads can be spun up so that at all these farm nodes, 
you can have a bunch of Bitcoiners start to congregate. You can have RVs or little tiny home trailers or whatever you want. Um, the places that have a lot of interest we can start doing, which is another business we're going to spin up, is sovereignty boxes. So take shipping containers. Imagine putting like a little bunkhouse in it so you can slap this thing out on your property when you first buy it. It's like your fallback location, right? But they have modules that you can customize and select whatever you want. So like off-grid energy modules, solar and battery bake modules, water purification modules, um, maybe even like security stuff like electronics um, sensor arrays of like night vision cameras or like, um, like uh, vibration sensors in the ground around your property. I mean, we can even do like up speckum so you have like bulletproof walls and it's like an actual fallout shelter um, or greenhouse setups so you can easily like um, have some Bitcoin miners running off the energy production of it and pumping heat out with irrigation supply to run like a, a double walled hoop house or something. Um, so those also could not just be like thrown out on these properties when you first acquire them. They could also function as the tiny homes that kind of surround these RV communities. So you could have more of your remote workers or guys like you, John, that are podcasters. And you could bounce around between the farm citadels and hang out with the different Bitcoin communities all day. Um, be sick. And part of the beauty of this is if we have the state try to come after some of the Bitcoiners, that's not going to be super instant in most cases. If we keep our, our ear to the ground, we'll, we'll hear some of that stuff coming, hopefully, through our contact network. Um, these shipping containers in the whole community can just be thrown on trailers and moved. <laughs> so you just move to the next farm. Um, there'll be this threat model we're applying of some farmers or, or some farms stay more, stay more small and mobile of having the shipping containers and others will be the bigger nodes that are big enough that there's a, a high cost for anybody to try to attack it. I've got some political ideas that make the cost of tyranny super high to the point where nobody's going to screw with theirs. That's stuff I'm not going to talk about publicly. Um, but to attack it from a dual threat model of ones that are small enough to hide and move and then ones that are big, but they have a they have defensibility. Um, like physically through this infrastructure and all that too, but also politically and authority that makes it something where there's the incentives to screw it then would be near impossible for the Fed to try to do anything. Um, you'll have to take my word for that one for now. Um, so those would be used for like your initial, like house room, your building property, your tiny homes. And I also want to build them as fallout shelters. That could be like a discrete shed that any normal Bitcoiner can buy and put in their backyard. So it's got all your modules, modular stuff you need, like power production and all the other um, stuff we already just mentioned. So that way, if their neighborhood shit hits the fan, they can just fall their family back into the fallout shelter in the backyard and survive. Um, also, we were thinking about doing things like, um, I want to talk about that. Bitcoiners need secure comms. I'm not going to get into details. Um, so we can stay connected. I, I agree with Laser's thesis that they're going to try to vaccinate the internet and maybe even at the ISP level, make you have to have an ID to log on, which most of our current internet tech is all software router rounds. And that's, that's another choke point. Um, so there's all these different entities spinning up, right? Which gets to the next prong, the third prong. Um, we were trying to build that fund. Um, when the last one kind of had the issues, it took me, I actually already had that team replaced before I even went public and we were working on the other one. And we dove into like trying to figure out how to solve the actual problems. With what we're building, it's 
very low time preference and it's very mission driven. They're very strong asymmetric bets, right? Um, like for example, say we wanted to invest in doing redundant manufacturing of like these micro machine shops at each of the farm nodes where you got like a thousand square foot, you got some of your critical machine shop hardware so that you can one off parts for stuff. Okay, you'll never be able to optimize to compete with these um, efficiencies of scale supply chains coming out of China, right? By uh, division of labor type stuff they do where they just got to going down a supply line and pumping out one at a time of all the different ways to, to make the pieces. Um, but in a like a, a zero, like um, a step function environment of scarcity where you just can't get stuff, it makes sense to have those kind of capabilities. Um, like one of the guys in our community that I'm a mutual with on Twitter, he actually is currently fabricating parts for Kubota, John Deere, um, a bunch of these big tractor manufacturers, because even the dealerships don't have parts to repair their tractors anymore. Like we're truly that scarce. Um, I mean, that's even true in shipping and trucking as well. Um, so he's got a machine shop and he's one-offing parts for dealerships and they're paying him premiums in order to get them because they can't fix their shit without it. So this whole thesis of us getting disconnected from supply chains potentially, like hope for the best, plan for the worst, um, where we can't buy stuff and just not be able to get stuff. Imagine if we invested in spinning up technology that was easy for anybody to do, kind of like 3D printing with the gun community, but for manufacturing tractor and vehicle parts, right? Or components for generators or whatever, right? Or for communication systems or greenhouses or whatever. Um, you're not going to compete in a fiat optimized world with that as a business model, but you have this asymmetric opportunity that if there is scarcity, you're going to be one of the few people with a distributed supply chain to be able to provide for communities around the country. So you can probably spend that and make a good premium. But my real concern is this whole, we win by equipping sovereign individuals to opt out at the existence layer. That's how we win this, not with bullets. That's where we shouldn't be putting our life force to the people who want to go out and fight. So most fund structures in existence today are not facilitative of long-term mission alignment of not pursuing maximized nominal profit. So like the very structures of how you organize the collaboration between the people is inhibitive of it. They're all about building very task short-term agreements over I'm going to do this one little simple thing or I'm going to maximize profits and that's the aim and then you build these complex contractual agreements of this is the leverage we have over each other anticipating it not working and we're going to fight all the time right they're they're not like bitcoin that's supportive of freedom and consent of unity of attacking a mission together um so we had to step all the way back and iterate of like okay how do we build a vehicle here for us to collaborate as a community of attacking this mission together like how do you how do you bring people because like there's a lot of high net worth individuals out there right now and some of them talking to me <clears throat> where they feel this this crushing marxist onslaught of tyranny and they just don't know how to fight it it just seems ubiquitous it's like nobody has a cohesive strategy they're way out ahead of us i'm like especially with the ESG narrative. I mean, there's all these guys, they're foregoing nominal profits in order to try to cozy up to the money printer for closer contingent effects and promises of 
having advantages of forever monopolies in the next phase of the long cycle, right? And that's the game that contillionaires play because they're tied to the money printer and time theft. But you have these really wealthy people who are freedom lovers and they're like, where the hell do I fight back? And this is a misinformation war. This is a, and, and they own everything. They own the media, they own the supply chains, like they own the, the monopoly on violence with the government. So like, and everything we do, it seems to just get psyop and twisted on us. Well, we opt out just like with Bitcoin at the monetary layer, we opt out at the existence layer. We get sovereign, that's how we do it. So with bringing this money together, you, you can't just say like, this is the one little thing we're gonna go do because this is really war. Like you don't really know over the next 20 years as this whole thing shakes out of like, this is the linear steps that we have to do for Bitcoiners to be sovereign and win, right? Like it's more like a battlefield of this is the objective of what we're gonna to try to accomplish together. And we just need maneuverability to pursue winning and maintain density of unity as we do so, right? But without breaking human consent of everybody getting to bring their life force to it without having it just taken from it, right? It's like, you don't wanna just give it to somebody and be like, okay, you're in charge of all this. So as we were working on it, I was thinking about how we all as Bitcoiners think about the sovereign individual and Saifedean's thesis about like we're kind of probably going to move towards monarchy with these little nation state um, or city states being like the emergent way of governance will work. They'll be smaller versus large state entities like they are now. And as I got to thinking about all that, it's like, okay, well, why don't we just pull that into the present? Like we always put that in the paradigm of this is going to be geographic, but what if we just say that like, like a sole exporter says, like your sats are your votes, they're your citizenships. What if we build like a, a digital consensual monarchy that your collaboration as a unit happens on the same timescales as a mission. So it's like your agreements going in is like agreements of citizenship of like a trust structure. That's more like, uh, like these family offices that are working together to build what they want over courses of generations, right? Versus like a GPLP fund that's just about making short-term profits. Um, so we worked to evolve that. And we came up with something I think is really elegant. We're in the last phase of iterating that with a few of the lead guys um, from the VC world and from the like entrepreneur, like CEO world who have done a lot of capital raises and understand the dynamics where current investment vehicles just don't align incentives for this kind of stuff. Um, and we're getting really good feedback on it where the guys that are the smartest guys on the cutting edge all just are giving us like, this is incredible kind of feedback. Um, Not something you can share? Oh man, I feel like I'm taking on the stage just trying to even give you the basics of looping everybody in. That's Anthony, okay. I uh, mean, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure we're all okay with that, but it'd be really interesting. To, again, don't share anything you don't want to, but it, it, I'm sure everyone's wondering like, well, what the fuck is that structure you're talking about? Yeah, um, I actually just let um, Poof and Tim read it for the first time. So that was like a couple hours ago, I think. They're probably still trying to get their heads around it. Um, I just, I got other teams and I just brought it over to let them see it. Um, what, what did you guys think of it when you saw it? I mean, it's very brain bending. I don't like, Tim, you don't have any investment in kind of VC capital world, do you? You no. guys are both pretty much from farmers and small business world. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't looked through it enough, Joel, to, to even give any thoughts. Wrap my mind, no. <laughs> Same. I, I heard your thesis on the uh, Bybit podcast. I think it's very interesting, but I haven't really 
uh, formed any um, thoughts around it yet. But no, I, I don't ha either have any investments in that in VC startups. Okay, so like current structures, like I'd even say this about democracy, because I mean, essentially what we're trying to do here is we're leading towards hyper-Bitcoinization, trying to pull for the emergence of these new ways of human governance and business and collaboration and existence. Um, government structures as they exist today, they're, they're all ways we are essentially trying to slow down human brokenness, destroying the system. So, I mean, the democracies just devolve into bureaucracies that slow the fall until it collapses. And they don't really allow for the volatility of creative destruction. Um, so, Oh, there we go. I wanted to be on the panel so I could see all you guys. Um, so it's, it's kind of like we do uh, with Keynesian economics, right? Where we're suppressing the volatility, trying to make our certain outcome guaranteed. And a lot of our human governance structures do that, do that too. And what I love about Safedine's thesis of we're going towards these smaller monarchies is you're just front-loading the problem. The problem is like, are we good people? Do we pursue good things? Do we have good people we trust to like join them on their mission of what they're doing in the world? And can we be good people who are in alignment with that and do our parts too? And the structure we built takes that kind of thesis of let's front load the trust question. Um, Sol Sol Exporter described it really well. It's, uh, it's an attempt to overcome the Dunbar limit because it's a series of trusts. So every, every grantor, so I'll probably have to explain trusts. Um, grantor is the person who puts money in a trust. The trust is held, managed by the trustee. They're the person who's the decision maker. And then you have the, um, the guys who are the uh, whatever, the beneficiaries. They're the ones who receive the benefits of the trust over generations. So typically trusts are set up for like taking your wealth and then pursuing and accomplishing betterment of the world in some way with a mission statement. And then it like the, the benefits of that accrue to your kids and grandkids and great grandkids over generations, right? Um, so we've got these grantors. They're in a, each grantor has their own independent trust. It's pooled authority, not pooled capital, where they have a trust, we have a trustee inside of the untapped growth network, and there's lots of grantors who all have a common trustee, so legally, all the trusts are independent, okay? The trusts are designed for the trustee to have all the decision-making power, so he wants to go after a project. He that's like resolving one of these choke points, right? And he knows he's got this pool of capital from all these different grantors who are mission aligned with him. So he goes, he looks at the project, figures out the best way to do it, looks at the balance of the whole war chest of the amount of uh, capital that the people that are mission aligned want to go after the big vision with him together. And he writes up a series of proposals of like, okay, here's what I think the best mission strategy is of all the different things we should tackle with our amount of resources in order for us to win the war here. Um, and when he puts that proposal out, and I, I don't really even like calling it a proposal. I need to develop a language around it to describe it. Um, 
the grantors make one of four statements. They say affirmative of, I like this. I think it's mission aligned. We should go do it. Um, I want to have as much exposure to this as you can give me in my capital up to some like reasonable brackets that are communicated between the two parties. Um, and I'm going to do everything I can at a human level to help. I'm going to bring my network to bear, my creativity, my wisdom. I'm an advisor, like anything I'm, anything you need, I'm in. I think this is mission critical for like us winning here. Um, there's a no vote of like, I don't really have any thoughts on this. There's a negative vote. The negative vote is saying that I don't really think this is necessarily mission aligned. I don't really get it. Um, so I'm not going to try to help too much with this. Um, but like, I'm still with you, right? So, because the trustee is the executive who's in charge of the decision. These polls and these statements actually don't control what happens with the capital. The trustee still makes the decision of how much gets allocated and um, whether or not projects happen. Um, the fourth poll is a withdrawal. If you go do this, I'm pulling my capital out of the trust. Okay, so that's how you break citizenship. I won't get too deep into the tooling. We have that broken into two separate pools. There's like a delegated discretionary pool. And there's this, web, there's this way that it moves and flows like liquid and invested assets between the two based upon the structure of skin in the game of them making statements of what they desire. But what this boils down to is the trustee, the executive, his job is to raise the banner of a mission, people align with them. So it's these many to one relationship that overcomes a Dunbar limit of like cohesion in a community because they don't all have to agree with each other. They just have to agree enough to trust him. So he becomes the tip of the spear of this human density that's going after accomplishing this mission. I mean, in a wartime paradigm, you need a general. You need a person who understands the big strategy as a whole, and you're not trying to go out and make agreement all the time. You have this front load of everybody knowing that we need just to, we need to win, and winning is defined more by us moving together than it is me getting everything I want, right? So that's, that's how, like, you, like, like the old, uh, like, battlefield wisdom, um, a good enough plan executed violently and quickly is better than the perfect plan not executed quick enough and strong enough right um so it's like his job is to find that place where enough people align with him to accomplish that density of of human power coming together unified to accomplish an objective so his role is to help everybody he, he raises the mission statement everybody aligns with him they empower him with their sats being the votes right by joining these trusts give him the power to go accomplish the mission. Um, you escrow SAS, is that how you contribute your capital to, or is it a commitment or what? So currently it's, we're, we're building everything in a way that wears the legal clothing of today. So things that have raised millions and billions of dollars in these structures, they got plenty of miles under them, lots and lots of legal precedent, like it's very, very like uh, it's very safe if you even think of it of a traditional, like financial sense, right? But with these structures, we're designing them to very easily transition into the way these emergent paradigms are going to unfold, evolve, and unfold. Of like these could very easily become like multi-sig wallets with these rule sets baked into time locks and like uh, 
So you could easily even transition into doing it without a state legal structure, right? Because, I mean, if everything I'm saying is true, the state's going to fall apart in the middle of us doing this. <laughs> That's kind of the whole thesis we're making our bets on, right? Mm -hmm. um, so his job is to make a clear statement of the mission up front and then adhere to that mission and keep everybody aligned with the mission with him. That way he can go out and do it. If they don't feel like he's staying aligned to the mission they signed up for, they withdraw. Just like, like the city-state thesis where you'll go to the place that treats you best, right? You'll go find a better city-state that you can put your life force and energy into that you more believe in. Except this is digital rather than geographic, and your life force is your monetary energy. Um, now, he needs to have enough grounding as the, as the general here to wage war that is not so liquid that it pushes him into a posture of inaction where it's like anybody could pull away at any time and the unity of the group is just instantaneously capable of fracturing, right? Because then it's like, how do you pick anything if you don't know if your, your phalanx is tight enough to better penetrate in and win this particular battle, right? So there's a set of like lockup rules that flow on relevant timeframes that are a part of the initial agreements when the trusts are formed. Um, so his job also is to manage liquidity of understanding what his guaranteed capital pool is based upon that density that he has this absolutely, no matter even if everybody disagreed for this period of time, um, because this is his just total solid ground to wage war from. Um, but if he keeps everybody aligned, he also has this bigger pool that's available because of the way we break it up to delegated and discretionary. Um, so it gives him decision-making ability as an executive with high density to go out and like wage war. Um, but it does so in a way that on a longer time scale, the time scale is relevant to this mission of decades and generations, that they have liquidity to vote with their feet. Um, like for example, like the, the discretionary capital can be withdrawn instantly if they don't like what the guy's doing. The delegated capital can be withdrawn at like, we're speculating the number is going to come out at around 5% a year or something. Um, so that withdrawal period gives him time to better maneuver and make decisions. So even if somebody leaves the community, he has this locked in resource stream to use to keep winning the mission for everybody else. Okay, does, does that make sense so far? I feel like I'm trying to talk about something that's like a completely mind-bending paradigm here. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stay with you, yeah. I would say keep going and we can ask questions when the full picture has been articulated. Okay, so the way, the what I keep naming this is it's like this digital consensual monarchy where you have liquidity, which is this enabling tool of human consensus, but you slow the time scale of the liquidity down by front-loading the agreements of trust with these mission statements and working to have alignment at the very beginning, that way the liquidity is happening on a time scale relevant to which the relationship and the mission is taking place. So like kind of like citizenship, citizenships aren't super liquid that just come and go and nor would you really want them to be, right? Like if like we have these RV and Airbnb communities at the farm, right? if you have this really tight-knit group in this Airbnb community, you just don't want some random scrub who we don't know and trust to jump in here and just cause chaos, right? Like you want some time to get to know each other and to build relationship and know that they have alignment with you guys and they fit in with the flow. So there's this 
time scale with that which trust and human relationships happen versus money is instant, right? So this structure of the tooling of the incentives of the trusts is there to match the way that human trust happens and evolves in relationship on these long time scales of the mission. Um, so it's, it's making a digital citadel that's built around a trusted leader with a mission statement where you have citizenship with your money and vote with your feet. And then over time, what'll happen is that there'll be competitive digital citadels that rise up where you'll have somebody who has a mission that somebody thinks this is what needs to be done, not this, or this guy's doing it better than this guy. And the energy will flow of people joining the ones that are doing the mission that's best, what they believe best, and the guy who's doing it most effectively. So then they'll be competing with each other out there and it'll be creative destruction in the marketplace at like at scale versus just the granular economy of small business, right? And so, I mean, there'll be volatility to that. It's not going to be like this bureaucratic thing that's just everybody is always just kind of steady state until you have the black swan event at the end because everybody knows exactly what's happening because it's all very dry. Um, but you'll have more opportunity to go after really world-changing type stuff at the same time. Does that make sense so far? That's the best stopping point I could think of to tie a bow on it to really see if everybody's with me. I'm going to hand it to the boys before I hit you with a couple uh what i like about it is the uh the element of um like you described there at the end the more um it's more of a time uh the relationship can build um yeah basically uh, you upfront the relationship or the the risk of it going um south or you know or somebody wanting to leave right away versus you know going halfway you know, going quite a distance into your um, adventure or whatever you're pursuing and then having a, a lead role or um, somebody drop out because of a small disagreement, it, you're upfront loading that. So I, I, I like that, uh, that very much. It'll be, it'll help efficiency of projects. Mm -hmm. And I think big picture here, um, far more than a, a cattle update. But, but at, the, at the end of the day, well, what, what Joel is, is just envisioning is like building culture again. And there's a huge aspect of where, you know, culture as a Latin word, colere, comes, comes from Latin, basically tending the earth and, and growing things. And so that is that kind of that part of that base layer um, of what's going on there. And then building these trust relationships as, as basically integral to making culture happen. Um, that's the only thing I'd add. Right. Yeah. Cause, so, cause, cause in current business, right. We try to treat trust as if we can do business without it. I, I, back, I just keep going back to what Soul Explorers told me where the beauty of Bitcoin is it takes trust out of the monetary layer so that we can focus on building it, which where it really matters, which is in human relationships and collaboration. And so in a world where we try to make trust not have to happen by using complex contracts, you just put so much weight on top of trying to cover every possible outcome that you lose your ability to be able to maneuver and create magic together of 
having the that really that flow state because you're so focused on fulfilling tasks that you're locked into these paradigms that may not be evolving with what's growing right versus how do we bring together the structure where like with bitcoin the incentives themselves punish you it's a game theory where if you respect the system and respect people that are with you and you respect their wishes you grow and gain in power you gain in the number of things you can do and you get to go out and accomplish more if you don't if you behave in a way that's unethical, if you don't fulfill the mission because you're just not good enough to be able to do it, you're not skilled enough, or like um, if you and the people just don't make a good team, then like that pulls away from you. So it's using that natural balancing feedback of incentives, of that just competitive nature of real life in the marketplace where relationships taking place to be what drives the boundaries over governance rather than having it be black and white built around these like uh, rigid structural agreements that may not keep up with the high speed real world of the real things you want to go out and create, which is especially important in this kind of more wartime paradigm, which is what's forced me to have to come up with these ideas. Yeah. Let me, let me summarize it. And you tell me where I'm misunderstanding things. So basically you, you, this trust, structure is effectively a governance structure for early citadels or groupings of people you know to put it more broadly let's say yeah groupings of people because this this is a this is a mission group of early people who want to attack the choke points and build out kind of the, the open source network of all the enabling components for the geographic citadels to emerge right so it's kind of like a, a john galt digital mission that everybody wants to come together on but it's still like the trustee or that one individual is basically broadcasting a mission statement and is saying who's on board with this mission that's how they attract capital the trust relationship is saying this is the mission and i'm going to be the one to execute it you're going to contribute a certain amount of capital but you're going to trust me to execute it without your final say effectively ultimately right uh well with your final say according to this rule set of this structure right right so basically the trustee has has the final say and the the individuals who are contributing to it can determine what degree of involvement they have up to a point right but but committing yeah and then and then they can revoke the authority from the trustee on a relevant time period so the trustee has the authority on the day-to-day, but it is revocable on a longer time frame. Right, and the the risk to the person who uh, goes along with the trustee and the mission is that, yes, it's revocable on a certain time period, but they do commit on a shorter time period that they may have a portion of their capital deployed to something that ostensibly they may not agree with. That's the kind of the power of the trustee, the necessary power of the trustee to, to execute on the mission. Right. Yeah. Goal being that that wouldn't happen, but his mission statement going in is we're creating human density where we want the mission to happen, whether I think it's perfect of my way or not. Right. So you're you're sacrificing having it happen your way for enabling breadth and depth of collaboration through empowering this tip of the spear with the with the trustee. 
Right. And so there's an element of an element of trying to minimize transience because nothing can be done if people flip flop all over the place. But there's a necessary necessary element of allowing flexibility so that if I commit capital or time or whatever to this mission statement and this trustee and over time, I think, well, actually, this is one that I believe is more important or is executing better. I can make that shift, although not perhaps the, the, the quicker I try to make it, the more punishment there will be. Is that? Uh, with our structure, not really. Um, I mean, I think this will end up being something that other people will rewrite and do it different ways. And it'll be like different structures of people that are all out there competing with each other, like this citadel city states we've always thought about will evolve. Um, but in this structure, no, speed's not really punishing, but it's just a matter of like, uh, how fast can you move if you want to? So, I mean, I guess it you, could be because you can withdraw the assets in kind and the assets in kind are likely going to be uh, LLC shares. You can just, just withdraw the discretionary assets in kind. And if you try to liquidate those too fast, then you're not taking the time to find a good market for them. So that could punish you financially. Maybe if you move wanna, slow enough, you can find somebody to get a good, a pr good price for them. Yeah, kind of, maybe, they'll be illiquid assets. Maybe one of the best ways to illustrate this is let's take the four of us. Can we just draw out like an example and say how this would work in practice? So sure. you're, the trust, you're the trustee and you have a mission and the three of us are like, let's just, just draw that out so that we can all, cause I know right now everyone's a bit discombobulated. Like I think they're, they're, they're getting it, but not fully getting it. If, unless everyone's like, Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not. So maybe illustrating this would, would help. Yep. Not that I'm not okay, getting so it, I, but I want to I want to get it more, you know? So I'm the trustee. I raised this mission statement. It's something, it's an objective, not a task. So say that like, I want to enable redundant manufacturing for the Citadel Farms in like, tractors, vehicles, things like that. Um, I want to enable distribution and supply chains between the Citadel farms, communications between the Citadel farms, and say defense between the Citadel farms. Right. Um, so those are the objectives, right? That's my mission statement. You guys are all like, fuck yeah, okay. And just so to be like, clear, this, this would be a for-profit mission statement. Is that the, like, or you could, so you could, you could determine the goal is that the first priority is to win the mission with these. Now, with this governance structure, you could totally design it to be more for profit. Um, with us in particular, this is war. It's more about winning. When you win, there are going to be profits. And I think with this, it will be profitable because we're making asymmetric bets based upon being where the world's going to move to and the world's going to come to us. Um, and it kind of so has even to the be places, profitable to win. In a exactly sense, right? yeah exactly but even in the places we over prepare that just break even there'll be other places that because of the asymmetric bet and us being prepared it'll be like a cash cow and spin off enough money to make everything else work um like for example like the redundant manufacturing attractor parts nobody else can get them so so we'd say like we provide them for the bitcoiners at a reasonable like profit level compared to a normal economy and then everybody else out there in fiat world who we don't really care about we sell it to them like a 10x markup <laughs> and so we just pump that money back into making the citadel and the bitcoin community more wealthy right mm -hmm. um so like some of those will have opportunities like that that flow in that'll balance it for profitability for the the portfolio as a whole but go ahead 
Yeah. So no, you go ahead. So you got, you got the mission that this is the, the kind of the mission statement, these different, uh, uh, men, like mini manufacturing facilities for these parts or, or what have you, and then just kind of yep. keep going. What are, how we get involved, what our role is, our relationship. Okay. So say you guys are all like, fuck yeah, I believe in this. Okay. Yeah. And each of you guys are like, I want to put in 20 million. Okay. Okay. So we, we, Sit down, you guys go get your own lawyer. I give you the open source docs of the ways that I drew up with our legal team, the way this works. You guys vet it to make sure you're happy. Um, and then you pick how much you want to put in each capital pool. You've got a delegated pool and a discretionary pool. I don't want to get into the weeds too much of what those are. Essentially, a delegated, the trustee has more power over it. And the discretionary is more liquid, so you can punish the trustee quicker. And you just have to decide which ones, how much you want to put in each bucket, right? Mm -hmm. um okay so you put all that money in there and then i just i figure out how much like at this point we got 60 million um because there's three of you at 20 mil so i figure out okay with 60 mil this is the most beneficial way for me to wage war i go attack a b c and d at this scale um, i'm going to compromise on this because i really need another 30 million to do it and maybe i'll have that later and i can back burner that and the mission will still maintain like going through the critical path right um, I bring it to you guys. Um, you guys would say I make a proposal. The first proposal is about uh, like modular shipping containers with 3D printing and CNC machines on them being delivered out to the farms. And it's got some R&D and it's got some manufacturing components to it. And it's going to cost us, let's say... Let's say five million a cap for booting up that. And each project will be its own little elevator. So I go and pull you guys. John says, "Like, fuck yeah, this is awesome." Um, I'm 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 making an affirmative statement. Like anything I can do to help, I'm in. I'll call my friends and see if I know anybody who has skills in this, or like my engineering buddies who can help us find the parts we should be three D scanning into the database. Like. I'll like, I'll try to find a contact inside of like Kubota and see if we can use their engineering schematics that they already have all insiders done because he's one of my buddies and he's a Bitcoiner and he'll like this, you know, like, so like you're bringing your network to bear and you're like, okay, I'm going to put like up to like 3 million in this. I want a larger allocation of this than just pro rata because I really freaking believe in it, right? Okay. Tim is like, meh. It's like, okay, like, I don't really have an opinion on this. I think it fits the original mission. I'm not opposed to it. If you need me, I might be there, but uh, it's like, I'm not super crazy, like ant. Um, Poof is like, I don't like it. I don't think this is what we should be doing. I think we should be working on like butchering and animal delivery first or something. Like, I think we should be putting a higher percentage of like my trust towards that, not towards this. Um, so he's like, I'm not going to help with this. I don't really believe in it. And like, minimize the capital of mine that you put into this um but like i believe in the mission of what we're all up to and i'm still here to be a part right like i'm still i'm still on the team so then i sit down and be like okay john's john's amped poof is not very amped tim's just whatever so five million let's do let's do two and a half from john let's do two from tim and then let's do uh like uh half from poof half a million from poof um i do it 
we go out and do the mission, we're rocking and rolling. Okay, so that's a case where nobody withdraws. Everybody's on board. And if I need help, the first person I ping is John. If it's not, if it's something that I think is like where it's inside of Tim's wheelhouse and I think it's a high priority and help with it, I'll ping him, but I won't bother him too much if it's we need an ally that like I can find elsewhere. And I don't bother Anthony or I don't bother Poof at all as we're going through this part of the mission because it's just not something he wanted to help with. Okay, does that make sense? Yep, question though, does does that contribution and how it's kind of it's decided like that, does that affect in any way returns to the people that made greater or lesser contribution within this structure? So this is where it's pooled authority, not pooled capital. You buy into the LLC mm -hmm. with the trust yeah. that is doing this. And this, this solves one of the big problems because if we were doing this through LLC structures or GPLP structures, how would we do this? Because it's like, you got to measure in a broken measuring stick pricing world over these hyperinflationary periods, what's accruing to who with people joining the mission at variable different times and like their illiquid assets that may have a bracket of like 40, 60, 80% of different prices that are all reasonable, right? Um, with this, it's really simple. You just get shares of the LLC we created and you get shares in proportion to how much of the capital bought in. So then if it's successful, you have more shares. Mm -hmm. If it's less successful, then poof was insulated from it. Um, but we're all together. In it. It's like we all got skin in the game. It's all part of the mission where the executive deemed this was important enough for the pieces that poof cares about that this needed to happen because he can see it from a bigger picture that poof may not see that it's worth a little bit of poof's capital because caring about butchering and animal delivery, this is going to help because we can use this to make trailer hubs to keep the supply chains of the trucks rolling or drive shafts for the trucks, which they currently also has a scarcity of like, they just, there's none <laughs> of uh, tandem semis. Um, so we, I know because of just the big picture strategies that this actually serves what Poof wants at a very high strategic level. So even though he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily understand it, he's getting what he wants with this balance of capital. And I'm enabling the mission as a whole through bringing us all together, where it's overcoming the Dunbar limit of human density of there being a single decision maker, but still with this consent mechanism. Okay, makes sense so far. Mm -hmm. Okay, so say one of you guys wanted to withdraw. So what happens then is the discretionary delegated pool, there's two different types of withdrawal. There's, you can instantly withdraw all your discretion discretionary capital of like, if you do this, I've just taken the discretionary away instantly. That's just, that's completely liquid. You can withdraw the liquid discretionary and you can withdraw the invested discretionary in kind, meaning you withdraw your LLC shares out to yourself and then you can try to sell them to somebody else in the community or whatever, right? Um, the delegated shares are illiquid in the sense that this will be negotiated as these documents evolve and we boot up the trust, but I'm, I'm thinking 5% a year. That, that's a, like a little bit of a lockup period. It takes time to get your capital back out of. That's that ground of solidity that gives the trustee decision-making power to wage war in the component that, like you said, John, keeps the community from flip-flopping. It's where you get skin in the game of buying into the mission alignment together up front of saying, I believe in this mission enough that I'm going to lock up into this like withdrawal period thing 
that way I have access to this community because I believe in this enough that it's worth it to me, right? I'm willing to take the risk of trusting this to be a part of a mission. Mm -hmm. So that's how the withdrawal mechanism works. The, the delegated capital is only withdrawn cash. Um, side note, our goal with these trusts is to actually carry the capital in Bitcoin um, and actually hold it in like a hedged Bitcoin portfolio where you sacrifice a little bit of the upside potential, not all of it, but a little bit of it. So you actually make money when Bitcoin goes down using like hedged options. Um, that way you maintain purchasing power, but you still have the appreciation of Bitcoin in the asset itself. So that will also be pretty cool because we'll just be to sit and be patient about going after the missions too. Having let's access say, to, go ahead. Let's say act like chosen activities are rewarded in the market through income profit, right? Yep. Over time, in, in a sensible time world, that's how it's supposed to happen in a hard right. money world. And so that just means equity value of the shares goes up. And should at any point in the future, should you wish to leave, sell, whatever, you know, whatever, is just market value of the shares based on you know uh, value of the income, cash flows, whatever. Yep. So, and then the one piece of tooling that I've not talked about here, when we go through the polling, that all comes out of the discretionary part of the capital. Okay, so if you don't want the discretionary to get used, your mechanism is to withdraw the discretionary. Mm -hmm. You can use as the trustee the delegated without polling. So if you need to move quickly or in the wartime paradigm, say if you don't want to expose the, the grantors to actually having known about something for their own sakes and something they'd believe in, but like maybe it's got legal risk or something to it. Um, or maybe reputational. Um, so that's something where you have operational capacity. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the big picture of how that works. My, okay, my last question, because I don't want to get too stuck in the weeds, but um, is it possible that you could be, and I think you addressed this, but just to reiterate it, is it possible you could be at some, like a kind of a leech if you just always like opt out and your discretionary is never committed to anything, but you accrue equity value through other people devoting their discretionary or? No, because that's pulled authority, not pulled capital. But even if you, even if you voted that you didn't want to be a part of the project, you still could have that capital allocated if it was strategically needed. Mm -hmm. um, the only way you'd never be a part is if we withdrew all the discretionary and it was only to delegate. But then the delegated can be used. And are, are people ever like diluted in this model, or or is the, the like the number of shares remains nope. constant? Because they're independent trusts. You just take the trust and advise into an LLC and there's no, because that's one of the issues we had to try to figure out with the GPLP or using LLCs as the vehicle where that dilution question and then dilution forces you to measure value. This, because they're independent trusts buying shares of sub projects, there's no problem with measurements because you're just taking a hard asset and split it out to people. Then they just have that hard asset as it grows. Hard asset being the shares of the LLC. Yeah. It'll be very interesting to see. Well, how far away are you from firing like the MVP or the you know the, the prototype of this structure up? Uh, talking to the first few grantors, potential grantors now. Um, once they're happy with polishing the tooling of the model, we'll spin up with paying the expensive lawyers to get these tools 
and rule sets drafted into legal documentation and then we're off to the races. So if the lawyers can work at the speed, I think they can two to three weeks. If the lawyers are booked up, maybe a month, we're pretty close. Wow. Oh yeah. All right. One of the first things we want to fund is the for-profit company doing the sovereignty boxes, doing the RV pads, um, and then also stockpiling all the stuff that's going to be needed for the Citadel ranches. Um, and then once that has equity booted up, the first thing I'm going to do is hire Tim. <laughs> that way, uh, Tim could be there taking, doing more of these, going out, outreach to regenerative farms to orange pill them, but feed their, like our energy of monetary energy and wanting food security into them um, and their food and security into us. And then also teach them about Bitcoin along the way and then have him doing with that salary, having time to do all the consultations to get the Bitcoiners build their homesteads. Right. So it sounds like you're trying to set up like this, the supply shop, right? Before you head off into the mountains or into the woods, you know, you go in and you get your fly fit, your hook, fish hooks and your, your fire starter and your ammo or whatever the hell else it is, yep. making sure that that's all secured so that all of these Bitcoiners that are thinking now, like this has become a priority. I need to start working on this. They're going to be able to execute because you've done the legwork and the investment of putting the base in place and, and making sure everything's available, right? Exactly, exactly. So it's all the tooling they need to be successful. Right. One thing about these uh, sovereign uh, huts or, or whatever you call them, like, like kind of like prefab homes, but oriented towards, you know, independence and sovereignty. Is this something that you would like engineer and develop entirely yourself or work with an existing uh, company? Either or. Um, we've got a lot of relationships in the Bitcoin community that would be capable of building most of this in-house, like totally vertically integrated. Um, or we could use other companies outside to help scale it. It just, that'll come down to what's, what's the best decision when it's time to spin it all the way up full speed. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. And we're, we're definitely in brass tacks today. It's so different from our, our, our conversation yesterday where we're up in the clouds. No, no, we're but, usually so philosophical, uh, <laughs> but you're one of the details of the update. So, I mean, I, no, I know. I, I really do because it's, it's actually pertinent, you know, and I know a lot of people are thinking about it. What, what can Bitcoiners do both stateside and, and not stateside around this issue? Everyone's thinking about supply chain issues. Everyone's thinking about food security. Everyone's thinking about adaptability and mobility. You've given this so much thought. You're putting together a solution that applies very much to some people, maybe applies less to others. Like, you know, what both what can we do, what can they do to contribute, but also contribute for their own benefit, like be a part of this growing thing, establish some food security, but also for those refugees, not dissimilar from myself, that are around the world and facing these issues. Good question. Um, we need to work together. We, we need strategic vision of really defining the problem clearly of what's needed so we maximize resources in the community. Because we got a lot of people that are really in the right places, but they're not talking to each other. Like we've got some Bitcoiners in the community who are in the metal 3D printing, right? If I can get those guys talking to the guys who have broken tractors, then it's like we're starting to really start solving some real problems, right? Um, so... That's the hard part is where do we pull together to make it work? And I, that's what I'm trying to bootstrap here is 
that mechanism for attacking with a strong phalanx where we're each other's shield wall, right? Um, what's eaten me alive is that every one of these things I'm working on is so interdisciplinary and it's so emergent of needing these kind of cutting edge solutions that even though the teams I have are like some of the most competent men I've ever met, they all need me because like we have to collaborate together to figure out how to solve these problems. And I'm the guy who like is touching enough worlds that I can figure it out. I mean, this creative stuff is just what I'm made for too. Um, so I need more time and us getting this off the ground and getting Tim and then Anthony spun up doing the consultations and stuff for me is going to get the Bitcoiners what they want of the herd shares moving quickly of like them having access to doing consultations more regularly for learning how to build their own Citadel homesteads and the politically advantageous areas and that whole process. Um, so like, like a simple stupid thing, like if, uh, so Tim and I have been doing consultation calls and charging some for him. And I'm using those to train Tim and everything I know so that he can start running on the business side. And then we're spinning up a curriculum with uh, Tim and Poof that's kind of digital that people can learn from themselves. And then Poof will be there as a consultant on the day-to-day -day of like, this happened with my animals, what do I do, right? Um, so if I, I, we had this huge applicant pool and everybody's always like hitting me up like, man, when, when are you going to be ready? When are you going to be ready? I'm like, man, like I've got so many things. Um, it was really funny. Somebody asked me yesterday because I was on, I was working on this stuff in a few of the off Twitter groups until like 2 a.m. last night. And then I was back up at 7.30 this morning, right back at it again. Somebody DM me like, dude, are you on amphetamines? <laughs> like, uh, no, this is important. I just got to keep going. Um, we appreciate so, it. If doing those is great because the limiting factor with Tim is he's got to have monetary flow in order to take care of his family. And he's been very, very generous with me as far as being collaborative. And so is, so is Poof. Um, Poof even took a whole nother job to free up flexibility in his schedule to go to work with us more. Um, super grateful for having these brothers with me in the fight. I couldn't be anywhere near where I am without them. I feel behind now. If it wasn't for them, I'd be even farther. Um, lifesavers, man. Appreciate both you guys. Um, yeah, so Tim's limiting factor is going to be like freeing up his time through having salary. Doing it part-time right now with the consultations while I'm trying to get the equity raised for going to give him a salary is helping me train him faster. Um, we're actually talking about launching a little uh, like gamified donation portal for all the people who are applying for herd shares where you donate in sat and it bumps you up the wait list kind of thing um that would be an awesome way for like the community to kind of just the plebs like not even to donate a bunch of money but to drive excitement to it and as we drive excitement to it it'll have more people engage with it and then try to bump up the list to get time with me and tim and i can use that money even from the gamified donations going into the nonprofit to fund a moving quicker of hiring tim and unbottlenecking myself so I can go after the supply chain choke points. Um, beyond that, I mean, I need to do the raise and I need to do it without really talking too much publicly, despite the fact I'm on your podcast, John. Um, because this kind of mission, it's going to be tactically dumb if too many people know I'm doing it, which is part of the reason I've turned down podcasts outside the Bitcoin community. Um, 
I don't want a lot of people mainstream knowing what I'm up to. This is this is something that I we need. Like we were saying yesterday, John, like the 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 Bitcoiners are the Bitcoin network. We we do our work to purchase Bitcoin. We we mine Bitcoin through our our life of what we create and the value that we add to the world. And if we want to make it to this 2030 time frame laser talks about where Bitcoin's going to demonetize the state and change the world for us and strip in their power base, the Bitcoin needs to survive. It needs to survive long enough to win. The Bitcoiners need to survive. They need to survive long enough to win. Um, so a lot of the Bitcoiners along the way, they've they've they're so special like the the plebs will inherit the earth and part part of what i think of when i say that is that the plebs the meek like they they're people that do well what they put their hands to or like as c.s lewis calls it like the the real inner circle the real elites it's like like the the whole world today is chasing credentialism of let me pander to the people at the top and maybe i'll get to be into the inner circle when you get there by compromise right and then it's just parasites and parasites don't win. But we as Bitcoiners, we as plebs, we recognize each other as the true elites because we had the humility of just sitting down and going like, this is what I love. Like uh, like, uh, like your guys that are doing the restaurant, Heaney, they're like um, Stony stacking walls or me raising cows, right? Or like we got guys doing construction, like a surfer gym. Like we, we plebs, we, we do well what we put our hands to. And due to that, this is something that already happened. But I think that's why we're going to win. Because the Bitcoiners have been faithful to accumulating all the skills necessary that we're going to be able to pull this off. We've, we've got it all in the community. I'm talking to so many people and I see all the alignments of every single fucking piece we need to solve. It's just a matter of getting the funding that way, as all these Bitcoiners are losing their fiat jobs, we can rope them in, tie them together on mission, doing the things that are building the sovereign citadel networks. Um, so what can the Bitcoiners do? Well, keep being who you are. Keep doing everything you do well, learning as much as you can about the things you love as fast as you can. Whether you're the 3D printer guys, because we're going to need that, or whether you're a machinist or a carpenter, because we're going to need that too. Or whether you're an electrician, we're going to need that, or a mechanic. Like, Learn as much as you can as fast as you can so you can contribute when we need you. Um, then also like help me spread this subtly so I don't have to go out there talk too too much to be too exposed post personally so I don't put a target on my back but also like um, for the sake of just uh, making the mission be possible because if I'm too visible then I'm a, I'm a weak point in the mission that just puts a target on the whole mission itself um, so like in our networks, find allies, find people who contribute, who have the skills to help us build some of the early pieces we need, and find people who believe in this. You want to call me up and be a part of what we're building. Um, and then, like, be a part, if, if I can get that thing built, of the gamifying the donations to uh, work with me and Tim for consultations. And I think we're probably going to try to do that, too, for getting access to herd shares, where uh, doing, like, these competitive donations to get on top of the list. Um, not to get guaranteed herd shares, but to have an opportunity to sit at the table with the farmer. Because I don't want to take decision ability from the farmer. He's I'm not on his toes. He gets he's he gets to have consent, right? Um, but you'll get to sit at the table and just get to meet the guys. Because we have so many people want herd shares that we're 
like 100x demand for herd shares versus number of cows we currently have even close to having access to. Um, but once again, having that monetary flow in is going to let me pay Tim for Tim to go out and cold call all these regenerative farmers to scale that up. Two things. Is the equity raise, like, are you trying to appeal to Bitcoiners for that? Or is that ex-Bitcoin community you want to raise from the, the, the fiat investors? For the trusts? Yeah. I want mission-aligned people who want to fund an anti-Davos group to win the war. I don't care where they come oh, from. Anybody. They just need yeah. They just need enough alignment to be like, this is the mission of rescuing sovereign families and communities against this Marxist onslaught of tyranny and globalism. Um, gotcha. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think Bitcoiners will inherently be the most mission aligned. Um, I just thought about this today where it's really interesting because this the granularity of these trust structures, there's no reason they can't be done small scale except for the lawyer fees. Um, so if you can figure out ways, like maybe have a, a Bitcoin trust lawyer who's going to work cheap, that would be a huge value add currently. Um, I've pinged somebody that Stephen Cole gave you the contact information of. I've not heard back from them quite yet. Um, but if anybody in the Bitcoin community knows somebody or wants to help like with that, if you had somebody who's willing to kind of take fees for the more wealthy people that wanted to partner with us and then give real low fees to the plebs. I mean, even the plebs could be a part of the bigger um, anti-Davos group. That's the one limiting factor. I mean, that and having a long time preference, but I mean, it's just allocation size, right? Anybody can take a little bit and have a long time preference with it. Yeah, we need we need those pros in all their various and varied domains just to be, you know, the little sleeper cell Bitcoiners to pop their head up and be like, I can perform that role. I can help with that. I can help with that. And like, you know, piece it all together. But uh, someone mentioned this yesterday in the conference. And as you're saying all this, like whether it's digital or in person, better the latter, but obviously cheaper, more convenient, the, the former. It seems like, a you know, a conference is a great way to scale up these skills and this information where people can come you teach them the fundamentals, you go through the different jurisdictions where the arbitrage is best or where the, you know, the, the threat model works out the most, and you send them forth with the right, the right tools and the right information and the right training to go execute on this. Because as you say, I mean, you, you can't copy yourself, right? And, and that's going to be a choke point or that already is, but bringing people together to give them the necessary knowledge and then sending them away with the tools to execute, I mean, seems like a pretty rational thing to consider, no? The reason I've not done that yet is because the number of problems run into while you're trying to execute over that six month time frame of land acquisition and building the farm out, no matter how prepared I give you at the beginning, you're gonna need. Um, that's where getting Tim trained up is not gonna bog me down because if I launch like the door to that out, everybody's going to hit points where they get stuck and they're all going to hit it at once with this giant wave of people who need me all of a sudden. And that'll mm -hmm. pull me away from building the support infrastructure that all the people are going to need. Right. But mm -hmm. once I get Tim trained up where he knows the Citadel stuff, I know of the bigger game theory of all these important pieces, because he's got the regenerative ag down locked. And then Anthony's got the experience with just the day-to-day -day farming stuff down locked. It's just a matter of integrating a little bit more of the strategic business pieces in here. Um, they'll be able to handle that flow. So we're close to that. As I hire Tim and get him going, which he's not even agreed to work with me yet. We've been talking <laughs> about it. So that's not set in stone. So guys, make sure that uh, as we build 
Like, Peer pressure. Yeah, like I, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> pressure Tim for me. No, like um, the more the more uh, the more equity we raise in the company that I want to hire Tim through, the better salary I can give him. Which Tim, you can speak to this or not. I think you love what we're building as much as I do. So love it's it. just a matter of having enough to take care of your family and right. come out ahead. Um, yeah, as as they get ready which that's just uh it's it's at the point now where it's literally the only thing slowing it down is money for me replicating myself with them at this point for this facet um the quicker we do this is like if i can get the gamified donation things up and get some money raised to pay tim and then get the equity done to give tim a solid salary and transfer him over we can launch that kind of conference thing because then when that's that wave happens Tim and Anthony or Tim and Poof will be there to handle it. We've even talked about doing like um, like a little subscription-based group that is uh, walks people through where like Tim and Poof can do consultations with me kind of in the background when needed of analyzing properties for acquisitions, going through the process of applying for, applying for USDA farm loans if people want to do it that way, like acquisition of animals, which we'll also help with through the network I'm building. But we're like, it's kind of a little bit of a white club service all the way through, like even including like paddock and waterline layout designs. And hopefully I'm working with the for-profit company even spent out doing a on-site installation crew, like a mobile crew of guys who can go around and install the fencing and the water lines and teach what's needed even on site as it's evolving. Um, the beauty of this is we'll have a lot of job positions open once this is built for the Bitcoiners who are losing their jobs with the vaccine shit. So... It's, it's, it's all right there, man. I feel like I got like everything at my fingertips. It's just a matter of like, am I going to have lot. enough allies who want to jump in with me from like the money side? Cause the, the wrench turners are showing up because they're starting to lose their jobs with the vaccine yeah. stuff and they're yeah. starting to hit me like, Hey, here's my skill set. Where do you need me? And I'm like, I'm so close to being able to spin up all the places where I can start plugging these people in. But if we have enough well, allies who want to side into the mission with me and then it's just a matter of executing fast enough before we get choked off with the whole political shit. That is the question, right? Because I was going to say, like, even if money from fiat land is ends up being hard to come by, I mean, that's the beauty of number go up, right? If, if number go up 10x from here, then it's going to be a lot more capacity for supporting something like this. But again, the, the timing issue is is the more sensitive component. Which is why I'm working 14-hour days. <laughs> Man, you must, love, you must love going out to the... Um, you know, where the cows are hanging out, just away from all this planning and trust. I, all I this take stuff. calls. What's I'm that? on the phone while I'm working. I'm on the phone while I'm work, working with the cows. I'm putting out posts with the reel and I'm on, I got the earbuds in. Wow. You keeping, oh, you, yeah. you taking care of yourself? You keeping all right? Uh, I'm awesome, man. I'm um, doing six raw eggs every morning and then like, <laughs> you know, like, I'm on top of it. I mean, one of the things I used to be into, which you'd probably love, John, is my background is actually in like fitness and biohacking and alternative health stuff. So there's all sorts of little things you can do to maximize like testosterone and fitness, but all it carries over to brain work too. Mm -hmm. I, totally. I love the raw eggs. I'm a huge raw egg. Nationalist. I haven't gotten into that uh, yet. <laughs> Dude. You I'll just talk chug you them back? It. Oh yeah. Oh just yeah. crack them open, Rocky style, chug them back. I mix them because I can't handle the like the big gulp of the whole yolk. But yeah, I just do them straight. Just blend it together, the yolk and the white. With nothing in there? No. Nothing. No, you lose some of the benefits. The uh, You don't actually absorb the proteins as a protein from the egg whites. 
they're actually more of like a medicine or information coating. They've got all these really complex amino acids in them that don't get broken down when you cook them. And those have all sorts of interesting characteristics. They actually reprogram your Peyer's patches, which talk to your body's immune system. Um, they're antifungal, anti-yeast, antibacterial, anti-parasite. So they're really good for cleaning up your microbiome. Um, all those components of the egg white, if you mix it with something like orange juice that has sugar in it, it actually inhibits some of the magic of the medicinal qualities of the way it communicates with your, uh, your microbiome and your epigenetics and your digestive tract. No free lunches, huh? God wants, <laughs> you, to go, do God wants you to raw dog it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think, I don't even think you've heard that full of a description of everything in one cohesive conversation. Had you, Tim? Nope. What's happening no, in your mind, wall here. <laughs> yeah. What's what's going on in your head? Man, it's big, it's just big stuff. It's I mean it's just it's it's exciting to just kind of hear it all in what was this, an hour and a half at least of Joel explaining these structures. Um, it's it's a lot to wrap your head around coming out of I've only been in Bitcoin six months. And so there's just base layer stuff that I'm still figuring out and aha moments that's happening for me uh everything from time preference to um you know just wanting to save more bitcoin than spend all the all these different things that are changing for me personally um but then this whole whole shift in the way that he's structuring these trusts and companies and um front-loading trust in organizations and agreements and it's just kind of mind-bending stuff very uh, untapped. I got a question for you, and, and this is a very fiat question. But I, my in the beginning part of my career, I worked in wealth management, which is effectively financial sales, right? I mean, everyone wears the pinstripe suits, and you think they're like you know all big shots, but they're just on the phone cold calling people all the time, basically trying to sell financial products, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Which is what when you said um, Tim was going to be like cold calling people about this thing, I, like. I got goosebumps a little bit because when you cold call people and you're selling them something that like mostly serves you and you almost like is way better for you than it is for them, it's soul destroying. Right. But the opposite, I think, I mean, cold calls are perhaps never fun, but when you can actually deliver like something uniquely amazing to the person you're calling, of course, it makes it a lot easier. But is like there that any tweet way I shared, like that tweet I shared from the, one of the first regenerative farmers we were talking to that wasn't a Bitcoiner. Did you see that one, John? I, I don't, I'm not sure. Remind me. So Tim and I were talking one of the early consultations with a regenerative farmer who's not a Bitcoiner. And his first reaction when we explained the whole program to him with the herd shares, he's like, I don't believe you. There's people don't exist with this low of a time preference that care about real value like this. <laughs> I'm like, no, nobody, they do exist. And so I grabbed a few tweets of a couple of you guys off of Twitter who've engaged me about cows and just some of the different parts of the story. And so I, I sent them to him. You can start to see the wheels start to turn. Like, man, these, these people really value their food sovereignty, don't they? <laughs> and, like, and then like, there's this moment where it just clicked. And he came back and he goes, this, this, this is God's capitalism of collaboration as it's meant to be. He's like, this, this isn't fiat where you're just destroying each other. Like, this is something I could get used to. Like, this is, yeah. this is real. This is real, you know? And so he sent us that. They were like, it was this moment where I almost cried reading the chat. It just, it cut me so deep. Did that one hit you as hard as it did me, Tim? Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, he grasped it right away as the, 
as, as the value is accruing to him, but it's also tremendous value to the investors. It's just not, not a world that anyone's used to seeing and particularly farmers, right? Farmers are just getting gouged left and right. And, uh, and this, there's just like no defense for it. Um, and so, it, yeah, John, it's like such a big, um, it, it won't be difficult work selling the idea. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was like, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm stealing from this community of customers and want to do the herd shares. I'm like, no buddy. Like they feel like they're stealing from you. This is, this is the way mutual benefit works of yeah. you get away well, from the time theft and we both just gain more from it. Yeah. Well, this is, you know, this isn't, I think we've talked about this before, but what made me think of my earlier days, you know, doing those cold calls is like, there's, there's gotta be something here. And I, I think through our conversations, this was part of the early ideas around the herd shares. And I'm not sure. And it's, it's not, it's a bit ugly in this format, but like, I think there's in, people buy narratives really, right? Like when people aren't just buying a 20% return an 8% return or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. And like the narrative of this thing, regenerating environments, you know, employing stewards of that environment, accessing a degree of food security and building out independence more broadly and fostering freedom in the world and a yield in the form of like meat that can be turned into Bitcoin, let's say, if you don't want to take delivery of the commodity. Like that as a pitch to pretty much any person who has a portfolio of assets, I think would be pretty fucking easy too. It's like, yeah, some oh, yeah. people will be like, no, no, I only want the highest maximum return. But I think that could be, you know, that could find its way into someone's portfolio that like isn't hardcore in any domain, be it Bitcoin or Regen Ag, but like that makes sense to have as a allocation. And yeah, that could really help things scale, you know? Well, that's part of the reason I'm not talking outside of Bitcoin circles because I want to provide for the Bitcoiners first. Right. Because I want right. to help Bitcoiners survive through this attempt at Great Reset to where we were able to stay the course of resisting the tyranny. So freedom wins. Cause I think everybody's going to want these. And if I start talking about it, it's just going to bury us. So once the Bitcoiners are satisfied, I'll talk elsewhere and it'll scale more. And then we'll just pump all that capital into just rebuilding more of the world. Maybe at that point we'll go after the deserts. <laughs> like we were talking about in the call yesterday, right? At the conference. Yeah. yeah. yeah it was so funny though. After a, uh, go, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, one of the amazing things that I love about this for, I, I obviously think about this most from, from the farmer's perspective or for the farmer, um, as that's obviously my kind of focus and area of expertise, but um, thinking about herd shares and the way that they uh, align incentives for both farmer and investor, um, it goes back to what Antap was talking about earlier, where we want to be people that, that do well with the things that we put our hands to. And showing a farmer this kind of model, allowing him to step into this world, even if he's not a Bitcoiner, is a way for him to focus his efforts and energy on raising cattle right, um, focusing on the land as he should, rather than going and chasing carbon credits, um, you know, going and, and, and offering up some of his land for solar panels, all of these other um, periphery options that he has available to him in the world right now where he can get close to the money printer and make money um, those things are ultimately not bringing his farm tremendous value other than monetary increase and here he's he's shown a model where um, you know he's obviously in farming because he loves livestock and he loves the lifestyle or he loves working on the land and 
showing him where he, he can optimize that work he's doing, be most faithful with what he wants to do is, is just, you know, mind bending for him. Just, just eye opening and to see, okay, there are people out here that want to be involved in this. And there's this model that actually works and incentivizes both of us on either side of this agreement to stay true to our word and stay true to the work that's, that's before us. Crazy stuff. Yeah, it was so cool because after we had that conversation with him, when it finally clicked, after that all kind of ran down, the next message that came through the chat was like, hey, uh, can, can, you, can you guys tell me more about this Bitcoin thing? <laughs> We're all yeah, well, like, yes. Untap, I don't, I shared this on Twitter. I'm not sure if I, if you saw it or if I shared it to you directly, but, um, you know, I, first of all, people want to, People love these conversations and it's really, you know, changing the way people think and changing people's ambitions for their life and their future and their family. And it's amazing. And, you know, I got, got one the other day, a guy emailed me, he's up in Canada and he basically listened to the pod. Things resonated a lot, had formerly worked in, in marketing. Yeah. I've actually met this guy before. Um, and, you know, he said he's kind of reorienting ambitions you know I, I believe he said he secured the land he's securing the the cattle and kind of taking his life and the family life in a different direction again to try to preserve sovereignty preserve freedom live a life that they find meaningful and that they believe in and resist you know the the tyranny that's being imposed on them in various domains and, and ways today and you know I, I get those messages and emails not infrequently and I'm sure you get them a shitload and like you just did that fist bump, right? It's like, mm, like that, like that's the money right there. That is the money. And, um, you know, so, I, but at the same time, I mean, I can, I can understand you feeling the pressure because as en enthusiastic and inspired, you're kind of making everybody. It's also like, shit, you know, now I gotta, yeah. I, I gotta put, I, I gotta put this in place so people can actually do this. Right. So that that enthusiasm doesn't fizzle out and it actually turns into something that's going to be a, a broad solution for ultimately, I mean, if we're talking about, I know it might sound ambitious to the non-hardcore Bitcoiners listening, but if we're kind of talking about rebuilding civilization from the ground up effectively. Uh, Literally from the ground up, pun intended. Right, right. That's quite the, um, quite the task. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I've got so many ideas that keep showing up. Like even today, we were talking with some of the guys on Twitter about the uh, uh, the little manufacturing nodes of these little lean um, CNC and print traps, right? Um, like one of the next questions that evolved was like, okay, well, how do we power these places? If we get cut off from society with this whole like digital currency or vax mandate stuff, like we need electricity. And it was like, well, like, how about we talk to some of the Bitcoiners who have ranch land that had stranded natural gas on them that called me, you know, and we'll put, instead of just doing Bitcoin miners on them, will do, it'll be an industrial shop of manufacturing that the Bitcoin miners spin on at night when the guys aren't working. Like, that's beautiful. It's like, mm -hmm. there's all these little synergies in the community that's starting to develop that are just so freaking beautiful, man. It's yeah. just a, a matter of executing fast enough to put it all together. Totally. I love this it. It's such a, it's, it's so much fun, man. I'm having a blast. I'm stressed <laughs> as hell trying to keep up, but I'm, I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning to like, 
to not carry the burden of feeling like that, like I'm letting everybody down because I've not gotten everybody fast enough and just settle into the flow and just do it as much as I can, as fast as I can. And knowing that like, it's a sunk cost and the best I can do is just gotta be good enough. Yeah. Well, I know you'll find your way and uh, I couldn't be happier or more grateful that you two are the types of guys that are at the tip of the spear in this thing, because um you know, I obviously have so much respect for you guys and, and uh, admire you guys so much, but it's, uh, you know, this whole, this whole process is a process of transformation for us all. You know, it's been something I've, we've discussed, I've been digging into on the pod a lot. And like, we don't get out of this being the same people that we went into it. Like the, the circumstances will, will require transformation and it's your task to determine what forces you are going to allow to transform you and what is the thing that you want to be transformed into? And are you willing to have the courage and uh, the strength to see yourself through the transformation? Because it's no small task, you know? And the, the, the pressure comes from many angles uh, in that process. And I'm speaking from the point of view of like being in it myself, not, not having gone through it, you know? I'm just as, uh, you know, just in the same process as everybody. So, you know, it's... Uh, that's why we have these chats too. You know, we gotta, we gotta keep passing around these ideas because it, it, all, all the stuff that's happening in the world can make people feel so isolated, you know, both the work that you dive into headlong and then the doom scrolling on Twitter and the insane people you run into on your day-to-day -day life. Like it can make you feel like it's insurmountable and you can feel very alienated. And I think what's so beautiful about this network is that, it's a shelling point for these ideas and these principles and these values. Yes. But also our vision for what can and should be in the future. And, you know, we just got to keep even at the point of redundancy, right. Cause I'm sure we'll talk many more times and we'll probably rehash similar things, but like, you, you know, maybe 50% is redundant or even 90%, but 10% is new and novel and helps people integrate new ideas or perspectives or solutions. And that's the name of the game, right? Those incremental increases and, and improvements until like we're... Tim. What's that? That's like Tim, that's where he came from. You and I were talking about stuff with Anthony, with Pooh and mm -hmm. us yep. talking on iterating these incremental improvements sparked off the creation of a new Bitcoiner who has joined us with the next leap forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you might, I, I mean, this will sound weird untapped, but I'm actually tired from listening to you talk for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, obviously, I, I think we, we save the, the philosophizing for another time. Do you guys think there's anything else that you either wanted to or we should cover here before we shut it down today? I said I'd, we'd do two hours max and we just crossed that point. You got anything, Tim? I uh, know. I don't. Man, we need to hop back on sometime, John, and jam about some of the stuff we were talking about at the post-conference yesterday. We totally That'd do. That'd be fun. I know. That'd I'm, be fun. I'm, ma I'm, making a, I'm making a list. You keep a little note on your phone or, or somewhere, too. And, um, you know, we're, we're always still going to free ball it. But I think just having those things that we want to touch on, because they're super rich, and they really drive home the why of a lot of the stuff that you're putting in place. and and that's yeah, important because that that drives conviction in all this you know so i just want to tease everybody with it <laughs> we uh we talked about yesterday after the conference <laughs> um 
John asked me, why does Bitcoin seem to create these mythic places where it shapes us as people and it's causing us to ask these deeper questions and take us back towards religious type things? And I've been thinking about this, this, this new thesis I'm developing where there, like, there's three main technologies in humanity. Language, which is the ability to um, express desire to one another and collaborate in the accomplishment of those desires. Fire which I would define as the ability to leverage energy to accomplish your desires, to accomplish more than what you just could by just your own strength of your arms. Um, and then money. And money is a synthesis of language and fire. It's communication across a distributed marketplace about what you want and then feedback about who is most efficient at fulfilling those needs and desires. That's where the energy component comes in. Okay, so Bitcoin's the first time in history we've had that perfect fusion of synthesis of real money where energy and language have truly just become one. Okay. So that's a huge deal. I mean, Svetsky has been hammering on this about why energy currency is such a big deal. And I could talk about this some in the Svetsky pod with Blazer and Mark Moss and Liberty Blitz. Um, but uh, I think this whole relationship is so profound because it's getting close to the nature of existence and reality itself. So, so one of my beliefs about reality is like based in scripture that the world was created by the spoken word of God and the spoken word of God had so much inherent power to it of energy that it manifested into existence and life itself. So like he spoke, creation occurred. It's a synthesis of language and power of energy. Bitcoin is a microcosm of a resemblance of the fusion of the creative force of Logos itself. So it's causing us to bump into these realities that are forcing us to grapple with the deep truths of the way the world functions, which stirs us to come to grips with what we're capable of doing as humanity, as children of God, where we're ascending into the full capacity of our roles as as people but yeah that's the tease that we talked about like an hour and a half yesterday we got to get back into this yeah <laughs> we definitely will man we definitely will but i think if we crack into it now we're, we'll be here for another two three hours you know oh we'll be going till midnight man this time for food <laughs> i've not even had lunch yeah but i beautifully put and uh very important or very interesting subject matter to dig into. So we will definitely uh, reconvene and, and do that again sometime. I, I thought you were going to go for another hour. That's why I settled in here. You know, I, I wasn't <laughs> sure if you were just doing a teaser or not. <laughs> man, I'm sorry uh, yeah. for walking the mic, man. I was like, that's so complex. I had to just lay the, lay the different threads <laughs> so you can see how it integrates. That yeah. was uh, the mission as far as where it's at. Is a, it's, there's a lot of different pieces coming together in one big, one big hole. Yeah. All right, well, let's put a pin in that and we'll, we'll, we'll cover it some other time and everyone can go and get on with their days and eat food and be merry and that kind of stuff. So, gents, I, uh, I really appreciate the work you guys are doing, uh, the commitment, the attitude, and the time. You know, it's, uh, yeah, I couldn't be more grateful. So thank you. Honor's mine. John. All right, guys, talk to you soon. Peace. Bye. Peace.